This is Doriel Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 51, Drop the Beat. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye hey what's up what's going on btm tribe back for another installment back for another episode guys this is the before the millions podcast the podcast dedicated to lifestyle design before the millions we're trying to get you to the ultimate lifestyle design that's the goal Ultimate lifestyle design. What is that? And how do we get there? Well, find out on this episode and quite frankly, every single episode before this. I mean, this is the 51st episode of this podcast, guys. We're one year in the game and we've been able to pick the brains of some of the most intelligent minds in the real estate space and in the online space. I mean, we're getting a front row seat. Again, guys, this is probably the cheapest way to fly business class. Just put on your Apple AirPods, earphones, Beats by Dre, whatever it is that you have, and tune in. If you're new to this podcast, visit the archives. Find out what it actually takes to become a location-independent lifestyle entrepreneur. Find out what it takes to become a real estate investor. On today's episode, we are interviewing Mr. Mark Walker. Mark is a real estate investor, and he escaped the rat race in about four years. He started investing in 2011, and he built his own company. He built his own real estate business. And in 2015, he was out of there. He was gone. He was in the high-tech industry and no longer. Now, he's a full-time real estate investor, and he actually has built a multi-million dollar portfolio in less than four years. He's acquired 22 properties. He owns properties in four different states, and all of his properties are professionally managed, which allows him to achieve the lifestyle design that he wants. Mark is a great person, and I really enjoyed diving into his mind and figuring out how he thinks and what he thinks about real estate and what he looks for in a deal and things of that nature. I mean, it's a fascinating episode, guys, so I can't wait to jump into it. Speaking of fascinating people, I just watched the Steve Jobs documentary on Netflix, and I just read Elon Musk's book, the book about Tesla, SpaceX, PayPal, and all of that. I mean, these guys are fascinating people, and the way their minds work, it's truly incredible. There's no failure, only feedback. All you have to do is keep going towards your goal, and as you fail or as you get feedback, you keep course correcting, keep course correcting until you get your desired outcome or your desired income. (laughs) Anyways, guys, let's get to the show. DeRay's tip of the week. Okay, so here's a question. Are you minding your own business or are you paying attention to what everybody else has going on? 
Now, I don't quite mean this in the context that you may think I mean this in. So let me give you a little story. Let's say I walk into a bank and I ask a banker or a bank teller, what is your business? The banker would, re- would respond, I'm a banker or I'm a bank teller. And I would respond, well, do you own the bank? In turn, they would say, no, I work there. In this scenario, they have confused their profession with their business. They're minding somebody else's business. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you look at that in the context of working eight hours a day for a company and then going home and not working on your own goals, I mean, that's absurd. You're not tired. You're uninspired. What steps are you taking every day to achieve your goals? How much time are you putting into minding your own business? How much time are you putting into that business, into your investing, into your future? So are you minding your business or are you spending all day minding somebody else's business and then too tired to do anything else? The more we mind our business, the more our business will take care of us. Now, I don't know if that's true, the more we mind somebody else's business, but hey, that's a risk I'm not willing to take. So mind your business. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. We have the pleasure of talking to the founder and a managing member of Lux Mana Investments, Mr. Mark Walker. Mark, how's it going today? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me. For those of you who've never heard of Mark, Mark has been an active real estate investor since 2004. He founded his group in 2011 and started out as a part-time investor. Let's talk about your earlier days, Mark, and younger Mark, and what you were doing back then, how you even got into that space. Maybe talk about college and what your mindset was and what your goals were at the time. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so funny. I remember being in high school and thinking to myself, man, all I want to do is graduate high school and go to college. And then I went to college and I I said to myself, man, I just can't wait to graduate college and uh, get a job. And, And then I got a job and I thought, man, I just can't wait to retire. <laughs> you know? So, so I went to college at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, I majored in marketing. In fact, I had a fantastic marketing professor, a mentor of mine that really got me very charged up about business and stuff like that. And I graduated college and I went back to my home state of Minnesota and I actually worked in, in retail for American Eagle Outfitters. They're still around. You know? <laughs> uh, and that was the last time I was in style. I'll say that. I worked for them for about a year out of college. And you know, it was nice because I just kind of took my time because I knew I wanted to be in high tech. I wanted to get into high tech marketing. So I just took my time finding the perfect job. And so I ended up going to work for Seagate Technology. And that's what brought me to Colorado. Seagate designs and manufactures hard disk drives. And so I had a very traditional marketing job. It was always, I had a great career there. I spent 14 years at Seagate. I loved the people that I worked with. And uh, while I was working at Seagate, back in 2000, and, it was actually about in 2003, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I know so many people that come on your show and have read and were inspired by Robert Kiyosaki's book. And that's what did it for me. And so that led me and uh, my wife to buy our first rental property in 2004. And I'll tell you that very first deal had a uh, 36.5% cash on cash return in the first year. And when you get something like that, it just lights a fire under you. And that was so exciting. I ended up owning that property for uh, about a year or two and then had the intent of 1031 exchanging it into something else. Never completed that exchange. And that's an interesting story, what happened with that. 
But in interest of just trying to keep this brief, I'll just skip past it and say that we ended up sitting out for the next uh, few years. And that turned out to be a blessing in disguise because we all know what happened, right? In the market, it crashed and all that. So then it was around 2010 that I started networking again and getting excited about real estate and uh, ended up partnering with a general contractor and we scraped a single family house in a real trendy part of area of Denver and we replaced it with a three story duplex and ended up selling off each side. And so we did a total of two of those types of projects. And then in 2011 is when I started buying rental properties again. I knew I always wanted to get back into kind of the cash flow model, creating some mailbox money. And so in 2011, I started buying rental properties pretty aggressively until 2014. And then it was tail end of 2014, I decided, hey, I have enough cash flow. I'm going to quit my job. So at this point, again, I've done everything part-time while I was working for Seagate. And things started to change inside of me. When you work in a big corporation, I'm sure a lot of people listening that, that are in a similar spot can relate to this. It seems like everyone in the company has the power to say no, but no one has the power to say yes. And that was so different from what I experienced in my real estate business. I had a, a broker that I really trusted and relied on. I had a banker, I had an insurance agent, a property manager. I could have conversations with these guys and make very quick decisions. And I very quickly see those decisions come to fruition. You know, they'd start to bear fruit. My real estate business was just taking off. And then I'd go to work in corporate America and I'd get so incredibly frustrated because it was the polar opposite of that. So I began to get a little bit jaded, you know, to be completely honest with you. And so I decided to leave the corporate job in January of 2015. You know, I had a family member that had a ton of experience in multifamily and uh, invited me to come job shadow. And so that's how I got into multifamily. I, and uh, by December of that same year, I bought a uh, 64 unit apartment complex. And that's kind of the story in, in a nutshell of how I got to where I am today. Love it. Love it. Mark, you've taken some really big leaps and I want to kind of break down the science of that because I think it's very important for our listeners. Back in 2004, Mark, you bought your first single family property and your cash on cash return was upwards of more than 30%. Your very first investment was blown out of the park, super successful. And when that happens, the type of things that happen to your mindset and your psychology and the way you think about money and the way you think about your business and the way you think about the job that you're at. I mean, I could imagine the millions of things going through your head. You had a gap of about six years, Mark, before you got back into real estate. With such great success on your first deal, you kind of seeing the potential that real estate has, a six-year gap, what was going on there? Were you kind of asleep behind the wheel? Did you know, life sure. happen? What, can you kind of fill in that gap first? I think this is a really important to talk about because, you know, in fact, this is usually the, the, what I save for the question about what's your biggest flub, right? Or, uh, you know, blunder uh, in, in real estate and stuff like that. So again, exited out of the duplex deal that had the great returns with the intent to 1031 exchange that into another duplex, but that was brand new construction. And it was going to be with this company that was based in Denver. 
that had this really cool business model. I mean, it, it, they had a construction division that they build these products that these duplexes that were really designed to be the ideal rental. They had a property management division, a non-owner occupied financing division that specialized in that. Then they had a 1031 exchange arm as well. I mean, the thing sounded great. It would have been great if everyone involved would have been honest. Mm. Long story short, I testified to the grand jury to help get the indictment. And I was the second guy they put on the stand at the official trial. The lead guy that was involved in, so it was a big fraud. Yeah. The lead guy that was involved in the fraud ended up getting sentenced over 130 years in Colorado for fraud. It was the largest prison sentence ever divvied out in the history of Colorado for fraud. So really quick, what happened? Like kind of break down that story and what was going on. Yeah. So I essentially had parked my money in the 1030 in their 1031 exchange company with the intent to 1031 into one of their products. And essentially, you know, they kept saying the project just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And, you know, they never broke ground. In some cases, they didn't even own the, the land that they claimed they'd owned to go build these projects on. And so a receiver ended up coming in and taking over the company and one thing led to another, you know, they just started uncovering things and found that like literally they were taking people's money, their deposits, and they were, instead of holding those in escrow, they were actually using that to uh, cover marketing expenses and, you know, anything else they wanted to spend it on. It was a big fraud. And so there was a, a whistleblower that was involved. She actually worked in the division that did the non-owner occupied finance and she saw what was going on and she blew the whistle. And that's what caused everything to kind of blow up. So, you know, God bless that woman, right? But what this did to me was that, sure, I mean, I, I went and I testified to the grand jury and I was at the trial and stuff and justice was served. But what this did to me as an investor is after that, I was frightened. I would go, I'd look at deals and stuff like that. And I would always come up with some reason to talk myself out of it. And I don't know. Like I said, that time was probably a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Fortunately, I never lost more money than I could afford to lose. You know, that was very good. That was very fortunate. But I should have done better due diligence on the people that were involved. And uh, at the same time, the real setback for me because I, I had I struggled with fear. And so then it was when the market took its turn and everything that I started networking again and feeling comfortable, you know, again, and, and stepping back in and investing again. And yeah, it turned out to be uh, my PhD right there. I, I essentially wow. earned my PhD <laughs> in wow, real estate wow, without wow. experience. So the fear that, of course, that would creep in, into your mind after that. I commend you for getting back into real estate. That's amazing. And sure, uh, yeah, boy, did you. you get back in at the right time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You went from no real estate experience to buying a duplex. You went from buying a duplex to developing property. So let's talk about the type of education that you needed to feel comfortable with that, especially after such a scary moment. Sure. I think uh, there's been lots of times in my life that I, I look back on and I realize, wow, I, at that time, at that point in my life, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And I think oftentimes, you know, when we're starting out in real estate, we're all in that boat, right? We, we know so little that we literally don't even know what we don't even know. And that's where I think it's really important to have a mentor or someone that you trust that you can, that can help walk you through the process and, and avoid mistakes and, and things like that. The second thing, in, after having a mentor, I think the other thing is, is you have to be the type of person that asks a lot of questions. 
right? Don't be afraid to acknowledge if you're naive, right? Don't just, you know, say you get it or you understand because you, you don't want to look dumb, right? You have to, you know, admit when you're a little ignorant and not be afraid to, to, to ask a lot of questions and, and really understand it and understand what the gives and takes of everything are. So, and then I think, you know, too, you have to be a person too that is willing to take action. That at some point, once you, you've mitigated your risk as much as you can and you understand it, you have to be willing to put your learnings into action. That's the formula, I think, in your case. I mean, it doesn't require a college degree to do this. It doesn't require, I don't even think I'm that smart, right? But I, I just, um, I kind of associated with people that, that I trusted, you know, that could, you know, help me through the process. And I, I wasn't afraid to ask questions. You've built a multi-million dollar portfolio in less than four years. You've acquired 22 properties with the average cash on cash return of greater than 20%. You've come a long way. What would you say today is your number one area of expertise? Sleeping in. No. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> I do sleep in a lot now, uh, I'll tell you that. But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think probably one of the things I'm really good at is, uh, is the people aspect. You know, uh, just relating to people and whether it be interfacing with the property management company that you mentioned or, you know, talking to lenders or, or owners of other property or sellers or whatever. You know, I've always just had a, a way of relating to people. And I think that's important. You have to be able to relate to people you know, meet them at their level and get a deal done. And I think that's a really important skill for an entrepreneur, you know, whether you're doing real estate or whatever, you know, you have to be able to relate to people. This podcast is about lifestyle design through real estate and you have the real estate aspect of it, but we haven't heard about the lifestyle design. We heard a little bit about the sleeping in, but let's walk through maybe a typical day of yours and, and how you're able to control your day. And, you know, some of the things that you do on a daily basis to keep your business in tip top shape. 2017, last, so last year, you know, I put a tremendous amount of uh, thought into, you know, what my goals were at the beginning of the year, you know, and I made it a high priority that my focus was family and health. And I said to myself, I'll continue to kind of look real estate deals and stuff like that. If I find one, great. You know, if I don't, then I'm not going to worry about it because I'd say that my real estate business was going to come was lower in priority than family and health, right? So like literally last year, I lost 30 pounds. That was a huge thing for me. My daughter, she's six years old now, but she started kindergarten last year. And so I spent a lot of time with my daughter. I even volunteer in the classroom at her, in, in her kindergarten, which I absolutely love. So, you know, this is what my day looks like. I work out. I sometimes volunteer volunteering within my daughter's classroom, spending time with my family. I'm, um, I'm eating better. Those have been things that have been my priority. I have been, you know, I do still evaluate real estate deals. You know, you've got to have a way that when you catch a lead of a real estate deal, you've got to be able to um, underwrite or analyze that property really quickly um, and just decide whether or not it fits your acquisition criteria. I can tell you right now that a lot of stuff I've looked at does not fit my acquisition criteria. I haven't bought anything since December 2015 as the last acquisition I made. And that's because... Um, you know, the market's in a different spot right now. That doesn't mean there's not deals out there to be had, right? We all see value differently though. I'm a yield hog, right? I look for a very specific type of deal. I've made offers on lots of deals in the last year, made it into best and final in many cases, but in the end, someone was always willing to, was, was always willing to pay more than me. 
right? So no big deal. What's nice is that the rents have been going up on all the stuff I own. So it's a catch 22. Rents have been going up, up, up still. In fact, I just had a meeting with my management company about two weeks ago. And we uh, went through the portfolio and I was just blown away by where they, the market analysis that they did and where we're going to be taking rents this year. It just blows my mind that rents are still going up. You know, so there's a lot of good things happening on that front. But, you know, with that said, it's definitely been harder to find a deal. You know, you have to be willing to to hunt really hard. And that has been um, something that just family and health have been a higher priority for me. You haven't found a deal since 2015. We're now in 2018 mm-hmm. and people start getting itchy. People start getting weary. People are like, you know, you start conforming to maybe bending some of the rules that you like to, you know, hold fast to um, just naturally as a human being. And it seems as though you're not caving in. Your criteria is your criteria. So maybe let's talk about what that criteria is. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that back when I was buying stuff like crazy in like 2011 to 2014, I wouldn't touch anything that was less than a 20% cash on cash return in the first year. Those deals don't exist anymore. (laughs) I haven't seen them anywhere. Right. So, uh, but with that said, my acquisition criteria now is I usually like to see close to a double digit cash on cash return in the first year. If we can get it to a double digit cash on cash return in the second year, firmly there, then I'm fine going a little less in year one. But the, really the bigger thing is, is I usually like to uh, model that I'm going to hold the property for five years and that in those five years, it's going to have a uh, 20 to 25% IRR. Now, I usually do hold stuff. I am the kind of guy that likes to just buy and hold. Again, I'm a cash flow guy, so it doesn't mean that I would necessarily absolutely sell something in five years, but you know, I just choose to model it. If I hold it for five years, that's my IRR criteria. I want to be you know, somewhere 20, 25%. So, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So yeah. you're modeling off of a, a five-year plan, but you are a long-term buy and hold investor. Yeah. And I'm typically looking for, you know, B minus or C class assets. You What's know, your typical like, size? My last acquisition was a 64 unit apartment complex, but you know, I'm to the point where I could, I could do over a hundred units, but I definitely would want something close to a hundred or slightly over a hundred just because, you know, if you go any smaller than it's more difficult. Yeah, exactly. It's more difficult to justify on-site management, you know, and stuff like that. So that makes a whole lot of sense. Okay, Mark. Well, this is all, all very interesting. So I'm sure there are listeners out there who are kind of starting their path and, you know, maybe they're, they are in the corporate America world and they're looking to, you know, maybe get into their first or second or third rental property. And they're like, man, this guy has built a multi-million dollar portfolio in less than four years. Like, how can I get there? How can I do that? You know, what type of education or what type of focus mm-hmm. do I need? So just in, in general, what type of advice would you give a newbie listener looking to kind of go on the path that, that you're on now? I'll just say real quick, never stop learning. Learning leads to action and action leads to success. I kind of alluded to some of these things a little bit earlier, right? But there's lots of ways you can learn. You can get a mentor. You can go into bigger pockets. You can read books by Robert Kiyosaki and lots of other books out there that, that are around real estate. But you have to start learning, right? And once you See, you learn to feel comfortable and you learn to really, in my mind, was really to kind of understand not only how to go about it, but also kind of understand my personal risk, I guess, is is something that comes to mind too when when I'm in learning mode. But once you've uh, done some learning, you've got to put that into action, right? And, uh, you know, when it comes to real estate, putting things into action can get expensive, 
right? But one thing I always tell people that is free that you can do is start underwriting, analyzing deals, right? Whether it's single family or multifamily, whatever types of deals or areas you want to target, start analyzing them, start running the numbers. Because as you run the numbers, you're going to start asking questions, And you're going to have to reach out to other people to get the answers to those questions. For example, you're going to have to call a property management company. You're going to have to talk to them. You're going to have to interview them. You're going to have to ask them what the rents are in this particular area that you're looking at or what that particular property might rent for. You're going to have to reach out to insurance agents. You're going to have to reach out to lenders and find out what kind of terms you can get on a deal like that. You're going to start conversations. And guess what? You haven't even spent a dime yet. And Especially in this kind of market, you might find that a lot of the deals that you're analyzing may not work. They may not yield out to what your what to your investment criteria. But that's okay because when that deal does come along, you're gonna know exactly what it looks like. And you're gonna have asked all these questions and built this network of property managers, lenders, insurance agents, brokers, everybody that you can reach out to to get it done. And so so you gotta take action and, and it's only by doing that, that you're going to ever realize success. I love that, Mark. And I feel like you just kind of hit on a subject that I I definitely want to elaborate on for the majority of our conversation. So a newbie listener wants to get started down their real estate path and whether that's, you know, buying their first single family or maybe even starting with small multifamily and working their way up. How does one go about choosing their investment criteria? I guess it first starts with your goal, right? For me, my goal was cash flow. Some people want capital appreciation, right? Or they want to uh, constantly, maybe they want to rehab deals to grow their, their honeypot per se, to quickly just you know, scale up in, in the size of the property. Or some people are investing with self-directed IRA funds or retirement funds that frankly, they can't touch for several years. Maybe they're 40 years old and they can't even touch those funds for you know, another 20 plus years. So they're obviously going to have a different acquisition criteria than someone like me who wants cash flow and lives off of this cash flow, right? So I think you first have to identify what your goal is. And then from there, that's going to dictate your investment criteria. Then I think too, you have to, uh, you know, once you have your investment criteria, you know, again, like for, for someone like me, who's all about cash flow, I'm obviously looking for uh, highest cash on cash return. And, and once you know that, then you can start, you know, then I'd say the next step would be to start reaching out to like a property manager in the area that you want to farm. Uh, just because I'm, just because I'm not buying deals doesn't mean they don't exist. Okay. It just means that I'm focused on other things right now that take higher priority. You just have to be willing to hunt. You have to be willing to look. And I think one of the best ways to do that is once you've identified the area you want to farm, reach out to a property manager in that area and start asking them where would you recommend that I, that I buy places or what areas are you seeing the lowest, the shortest marketing time in right now? What features and properties do you see as the easiest to rent? You know, like if it has a garage, is that going to rent more quickly or for a higher dollar amount than a property that doesn't have a garage that's similar in this area? Ask questions like that. And that property manager, whether they realize it or not, is going to tell you exactly what you should be out there looking to buy and then go engage with a broker and say, here's, the, here's what I want to buy. I want to buy in this zip code or in this one mile radius of this block or whatever. But I'd say start with the property manager and understand what people are renting 
and then go from there and then engage a broker? Those are awesome, awesome questions to ask a property manager. So we'll definitely, I'm going to list those questions in the show notes because I think those are super, super important questions. And, you know, those aren't typical questions that that people ask. And when you ask those type of probing questions, you get the answers that you're looking for. So let me ask you this question, Mark. What is a cash on cash return? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Good question. So cash on cash return is the way I'd best explain it is it's the same, it's the same return you're going to get if you park money in a savings account, right? So let's say you've, uh, you've got $1,000 and you go put that into a savings account. I mean, what are we lucky to get these days? Like a quarter percent interest or something like that a year, you know, something crazy like that. Cash on cash return is the same thing. So if, if you have to put a thousand dollars, pull a thousand dollars out of your pocket or out of your bank account in order to close a property and get that property rent ready to a point where it's starting to produce income, then however much money you get back from the operations of that property is your return, right? So, uh, so let's say I spend a thousand dollars to buy a property and it cash flows, you know, a hundred dollars a month. Oh, after a year, I've made twelve hundred. This is a bad example because this is a bad example. (laughs) Let's say it's it's ten thousand dollars. Let's say it's ten thousand dollars, right? And in a year, I've made twelve hundred dollars in cash flow. Then calculate that out, right? Um, Yeah, it's a little bit more than (laughs) it's a little more than a thousand bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let me see. It's like a twelve percent. Yeah, it's a twelve percent cash on cash return. Right. So yeah. yeah, that's essentially the math on it. But it's the same thing as, you know, I look at it the same way of parking your money into a, a savings account. So like I said, if, you, if you're getting a quarter percent interest in the bank, you know, on that, and then you go off and find a deal like I found in 2004 that made 36 and a half percent, I mean, cash on cash return, that's huge, right? So... I love that. And just to kind of give the listeners, I guess, a different way of looking at it, because different people will describe it a hundred million different ways. But yeah, cash on cash return, so 36.5%. So basically, if you think of a cash on cash return, if Mark is making a 36.5% cash on cash return, that means that he's made 36.5% of his money back in the first year. So that means if everything stayed the same, he would recoup all of his money in three years because he would have, by the third year, is that correct, Mark? By the third year, you would have made a 100% cash on cash return. So think of your cash on cash return on a yearly basis. So if you, like Mark said, if you put in, you know, $10,000 into a deal and you're looking for a 10% cash on cash return, you're looking to make $1,000 that year. So your rents need to need to reflect that. And if they don't, then you walk away from, from analyzing that deal or, or maybe you find some type of value add component that can get it up to there. But cash on cash return is basically how much of your money you're going to make back within that first year is your cash on cash return. So I hope that that kind of makes sense for everybody. So Mark, let's kind of uh, dive into this criteria a little bit more. So we know that we should talk to property managers. We should ask these questions. We should ask probing questions. We should pick our market. We should base our investment criteria on our goals. So if we're looking for cash flow, if we're looking for appreciation, if we're looking for a way to, you know, put our 401k funds to use rather than leaving the stock market or, you know, put our savings funds to use that are only collecting a quarter of a point, you know, in interest. And so let's just say we know our investment criteria is, is cash flow. What's next? Do we, because there's a different ways to, to skin a cat. 
cash flow can mean I want to buy 20 single family rentals, you know, over the next five years that are each producing $200 a month in cash flow. And that'll, that'll get me to my goal of $4,000 a month passive cash flow, whatever it is. Or it can be, I want to buy five fourplexes and that'll get me to my goal of $4,000 a month. Or it can be, I want to buy one 20 unit building in one deal that'll get me to my cash flow goal. So now we have our criteria, but we're still kind of hazing on where to start in our real estate investing journey. What do we do next? How do we figure that part out? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you, I like the way you laid it out. You really laid it out there really well. To get started, I mean, you just, you have to start somewhere, right? And, and once you know the goal and, and stuff like that, you, you also have to look at what kind of resources you have available to you, you know, cause that's going to play a huge part of this. I mean, you're probably, if you're just starting out, uh, unless you have a very, very high paying job or a huge nest egg, you're not going to go buy a 20 unit building or, you know, or anything like that. Right. So you have to be realistic. So you have to consider what your resource, what resources you have available to you and, and work within that. But yeah, you just have to start taking action um, after you've identified your goal. And I think too, if you've identified your goal, then, you know, you have to decide where you want to be hunting for properties. It might be in your own area. It might be in another state. And that's going to dictate, you know, where you're going to be reaching out to people. But again, I really do believe that if you, there's deals to be found anywhere. You know, if you want to buy properties in your area, even if you live in an expensive area, it really doesn't matter. It's it's all relative. There's good deals to be found there. You just have to know how to find them. And that's where you have to start taking the action. Reach out to the property manager and other people and start asking those probing questions. And just, you know, in the meantime, have your uh, money and everything, you know, set aside so you're ready to strike when you do find it. If you can get pre-qualified for loans and stuff like that beforehand, that, that helps you strike a lot faster. Just anything you can be doing in the background. So when you do find that deal, you're, you're ready to strike fast while the iron's hot. That's, that's huge. I love that. So, so Mark, you've been on quite a few platforms. You've been on radio shows, you've been on podcasts, you have your blog. And I'm sure that many people inquire about what you do. And many people have questions about how they can do what they do and get started. And many people bring you their problems and you maybe help them break it down. And I, I know that you have the abundance mindset. So you've, you've probably been doing this for a long time. What would you say is the biggest hangup people go through that come to you looking for advice to get started in real estate? And how can they overcome that? Yeah, I'd say it's fear and inaction. There's so many people that I talk to that, that are really interested in this. They say they want to start buying real estate and if nothing else, just to you know, start building a, a better nest egg and have a safe place to park money and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they, they don't take action. I even see lots of people go to conferences and stuff like that. And I hate to say it, but you, know, a lot, you look around and a lot of those people are never going to take action, right? So the people that end up taking some type of action are the ones that end up making it, you know, and are, are successful. And, you know, you have to have realistic expectations that it's not going to happen overnight. This is something that has taken me several years. I started Luxmana Investments in 2011. Okay. I did not leave my corporate job until January of 2015. And it's still growing, but it's not going to happen overnight. You have to be willing to put the time in and take the action. And, and really truthfully, if, if you are a person like me that, you know, back during that time when I was afraid, the best remedy for that is to get educated, get a mentor, 
or you know, go on you know, platforms like Bigger Pockets or read books or stuff like that to get educated. Because once you start to understand things better, you become more comfortable with the concept and you're ready to step out again. So yeah, that would be my advice. That, I mean, I, that's what I see. It's, it's fear and it's inaction. And, and those things are, when you think about it, those are completely within your control. Yep, they are. I would agree. That is definitely the number one impediment that I see when people who approach me and are looking for help is it's just that fear. And that fear causes inaction. And it's one of those things to where I'm just like, if I could just find a way to help this person get over that fear and know that, you know, it's not about knowing everything before you get started. It's about getting started and then learning and making mistakes and learning all that stuff along the way. So I think that's super important, Mark. Thank you for that piece of advice. So rounding out this segment, Mark, and we're talking about getting into your first deal or your second or third deal. And we're talking about how to analyze these deals and how to make sure that you're picking the right type of deals for your goals. Do you have any last piece piece of advice for listeners out there looking to start analyzing deals and talking to property managers and, and possibly even making offers. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say, uh, have fun with it. And, uh, like I said, uh, find a way to relate to people. You know, there's a lot of people out there asking lots of questions and wanting to get into this game. And I think what's going to set you apart is your ability to relate to people. And so take a vested interest in the people you talk to, ask them about them, ask them about their family and you know, get to know them when you just make kind gestures like that, you will be amazed at how much they will look forward to your phone call and how much they will bend over backwards to help you or answer your questions and how much of an interest they will take in your success. So just find a real way to relate to people and have fun. And yeah, that's the best advice I guess I could give you. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Definitely Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I'm sorry, I know that's probably such a lame answer (laughs) because everybody, I think, says that. But that was really a life-changing book for sure. Yeah, Mark, I read that book every single year. This year, I told myself I'm buying... 15, 20 copies. I'm just going to have them. Like I'm going to hand them out like to people I see business cards. Like it is that incredible. And you would think that like some of the, some of the, uh, the excitement of that book kind of goes away after you've read the book over five, 10 years ago. But every single time you read the book, you're in a new space, you have new thoughts, you've made new accomplishments, you get new ideas. It's, it's crazy. So yes, I definitely recommend that book. And if you haven't read that book, by the way, we definitely have an audible trial account and you can get download that book on Audible so you can listen to the audio version and you can listen to it for free. So visit beforethemillions.com slash book and you can download two free audio books. So I think that if you haven't read that book, you can read it for free today, right now. It's amazing. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Yeah, you know, uh, one that I've actually just started using this year is is called Strides. I believe it's available for Android and Apple, you know, the iPhone and everything. But it's a, a habit tracker app, which is so, you know, you're able to load your goals into it and put some metrics around it and stuff like that. It's a pretty cool app. It's pretty solid. I, I've really been enjoying it. And you know, you can set up like little pop-ups to remind you of, you know, things you wanted to accomplish and wanted to do and, you know, remind you of certain milestones that are coming up. It's, it's a great little app. It's probably the best one I've seen out there for setting up goals and, and tracking and developing new habits. I love hearing and being introduced to new apps. So that app is called Stride, correct? Strides. Yeah. Strides. Okay. Got it. Yeah. 
what do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed and get to sleep uh, in? <laughs> yeah, I get to sleep in. I, I think in general, just the freedoms that it has allowed me, you know, and, and the way I'm using that freedom is, you know, obviously around health and family. And I mentioned I have a young daughter. It's just, it's such a precious time right now. And I just love that every morning I wake up, I'm there with her, helping to make her breakfast, helping getting ready, ready for school, sometimes taking her to school, picking her up from school, volunteering in her classroom. The freedom is just fantastic. Would you have been able to do that in, in the high-tech industry? Not with as much freedom, no, no. You know, the, the demands of high-tech especially, it's a very fast-paced environment and stuff like that. And if you're not on your toes, then you get left behind. And so, yeah, it's very, very different. And oh, so, in fact, we're going to Hawaii next month for nine days. And so that's going to be a great time, you know, for spring break. So looking that is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. That, that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be a blast. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Probably one of the most obvious things, and I, I say this too because I've talked to some people too, that they fully enjoy their lifestyle. They have a high paying job and, you know, teach their own. You know, we all have our priorities, but there are some people that really enjoy their lifestyle. And I wasn't living a crazy lifestyle. I'd say even today we live in a, you know, modest house and drive modest cars and stuff like that. But, you know, back then too, especially uh, when I was buying real estate, I was dropping a lot of my free cash flow into buying more real estate rather than buying a bigger house or for myself to live in or drive really expensive cars or anything like that. That was probably the biggest thing for me. You know, all my friends, especially in high tech that were making really good money were, were living large, but, uh, but I was, I was dropping every dime I had into real estate. <laughs> Hey, I can totally relate. And it's just like, you know, you kind of feel like maybe you're getting left behind, but you're actually propelling yourself forward. And by the time you do come back, I mean, you're hanging out with your daughter whenever, however you want, you know? So it's amazing, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I could list off several people, you know, from when I was young to, to in college to, to now. Who sticks out the most? Right now, for some reason today, there was a guy that I worked for when I was in high school that owned a music store. And uh, so he was an entrepreneur. You know, I just have very fond memories of working for him. And he gave me just a lot of freedom, you know, to really influence his business and really kind of put my fingerprint on it. And I remember he even gave me some business cards that like made it look like I owned the place. Seriously. I mean, he just really inspired me, you know, as an entrepreneur and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that's the guy that's coming to mind today. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great start. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, start. it really was. So <laughs> last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? You're not taking action. Yeah. It really comes down to that action. You got to start taking action and putting it to work. But Mark, what if I take action and I fail? Well, then, you know, you know how not to do it. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you might discover that first that, you know, you, you first discovered 
a hundred different ways not to do it. But there's countless stories out there. You know, I even think right now of uh, the Colonel from uh, KFC, right? They say he failed like over a thousand times. You know, I he think was like, he was like 60 when he finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Years old when everything finally started like working for him. So just think about it. Like some people are like, well, yeah, like I want to start investing, but I mean, I don't know, like if everything goes wrong and I fail, like, or if I can't figure it out for the next year or two, like when will I know, like when to give up or when to try something else or when to try something new? And I'm just like, look, entrepreneurship is not, there's not a manual that tells you, hey, I have to endure pain for a year before I can be successful or two years. It's not an exact time. I mean, like you said, the colonel, mm -hmm. he was 60, at least he was late 50s, early 60s before yeah. he finally hit success. So some people have to wait 40 years. Yep. Some people grind it out that long. And I mean, it's just the mentality that you have to have that you know that no matter what, I'm never going to give up, no matter what. And you know what? Let me flip it around on you. If you wake up tomorrow, if any of us do, if I do, if you do, if any of the listeners do, if you wake up tomorrow and you do not take action and you failed, you failed tomorrow. Yep. So you're in complete control. And by taking no action is an even worse failure than trying and not succeeding. Yep. I love it. I love it. Well, Mark, this has been amazing. I, oh, likewise. I, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I can't stand up. I've gained so much insight into your life and to the way you think and to now your businesses that are doing super well. So Mark, I thank you again for the inspiration you, you've shared with me and you've shared with the listeners and hopefully they've gotten away something for, from our conversation as well. If anybody wants to reach out to you, learn a little bit more about you, where can they find some of your information? You can find me on Luxmana.com. That's www.luxma. NA.com. I also would love as a way of just saying thank you for uh, listening to me ramble here for a little while. I'd love to offer your listeners a free gift. I've written a white paper. It's called 10 Not So Obvious Ways to Boost Your Multifamily Property NOI. And whether you are a new investor or an aspiring investor or an experienced uh, multifamily investor, it's very likely there might be at least one nugget of information that might be helpful to you in understanding how to uh, succeed in multifamily, in the multifamily space. And so you can get that for free by going to my website. I have a special page set up. It's luxmana.com forward slash before the millions. And you can get that paper. There you have it. We're special guys. We got our own link. So luxmana.com forward slash before the millions and you can get Mark's white paper. That's amazing. Definitely go check that out. And that link will be in the show notes. So if you're driving and you didn't catch that, just go to the show notes and you can visit it from there. Well, Mark, again, I can't say how much this has been amazing. And thank you again for all that you do. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit to work with the Before the Millions team, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. That's beforethemillions.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we'll get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what is your cash flow goal? How much are you looking to make every month? Number two, your personalized investing strategy. And number three, the best way to get started using cash flowing rental real estate. Remember, starting and scaling your real estate investments and business doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen.
We've helped clients all over the world start and scale their investing efforts to six figures and beyond while enjoying life and making the world a better place. To find out if we can help you do the same, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. I'm Dorel Lallier, and let's talk soon.